Well, hey, everybody. This is another dual episode of uh, Tanzu Talk. Rick and I recorded this uh, live streaming on the uh, Tanzu TV. You can go check that out if you go to tanzu.tv. It's all sorts of great shows we have there from programming to operations to this one. There's an upcoming one uh, that's all about uh, architecture and design of software and things like that that I'm looking forward to, sort of an interview format. Um, and if you're watching this in video form, you should also subscribe to the podcast, which has all sorts of uh, podcasty interviews we've been doing for years uh, on Tanzu Talk. So anyhow, uh, in this conversation, you know, Rick and I talked for quite some time and I wanted to edit it down to just highlight one bit. If you had wanted to see the full thing, you could have tuned in live to see all the stuff that I took out. I mean, it was fine. I just thought I would focus it some. But anyways, uh, we had been talking about something that Rick has been seeing with large organizations he talks with. There's, of course, lots of people who are interested in getting Kubernetes up and running and are kind of trying to fit that into their overall idea of um, improving the way that they do software. And he's been noticing, as have I, that there are many sort of uh, perspectives and theories about what Kubernetes is and why you would be using it. So one of the things I've been thinking about recently is that there's this very implied uh, enterprise architecture uh, that's in Kubernetes based on the constraints that it puts on you and the way that you need to organize your applications. Well, I mean, I'll get into it when I jump into it. Uh, but you can see uh, where we pick up in the conversation is I kind of lay out this idea that, idea that there's an enterprise architecture, and then uh, we go from there. So enjoy. Yeah, and, and, and you know, to start to pull apart a perspective of, of this, this platform that you're building, of, of Kubernetes that you're standing up. I was watching, um, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we had Spring One Platform, and there's a, there's a good, I think kind of a good 27-minute tour of, of Tanzu Kubernetes and all the ancillary things around it, the portfolio that uh, Tiffany on my team did. And it's really, it's fun to watch it because she kind of starts off from here is, here's kind of like a dashboard, a visual of what everything looks like. Here's how you manage multiple cr clusters. And here are some of the other things that you'll need to be able to do, like uh, have configuration and policy, backing up things, like all these, I keep saying ancillary, but all these supporting mm -hmm. things. Uh, that you layer on top of it. And then she even manages, uh, well, not manages, but she manages to fit in uh, deploying like the spring pet shop, right? So, and kind of showing some of the basics of like, if you have an application, here's how you kind of break it up and deploy it. And you can see it running, uh, you know, across whatever infrastructure that you have. And then also here's an example of like using, um, we call it uh, observability now, but used to, it's Wavefront. And how you can kind of trace a request that goes through uh, your application and how that surfaces up there. And I think, you know, early on when, when I was learning about Kubernetes, at least, I sort of assumed that a lot of everything that I went over was like what it was. <laughs> and I remember, mm -hmm. I remember last year, I spent a lot of time to actually uh, learn and look things up. And, and just recently, like the conclusion that I've come to uh, is... And and you kind of hinted at this, but is that essentially, I struggle with what to how to describe it, but it's sort of like a standard set of interfaces and practices that are codified in what we used to call APIs. I don't know the, what all the still APIs. Yeah, what <laughs> what all the cloud native people mean when they say API is confusing mm. to old programmer me. But I I think what uh. it means is like 
a standard set of data formatting and steps that are taken. And then also what I would call an API, just like here's some methods that you call on a thing, right? Like here's some operations that you call, but they sort of oh, mean are, the combination. So you got of all two that. separate things, right? So yeah, yeah. That, that, I think you've hit on this is the real value of Kubernetes. It's what people miss, right? Yeah. The, the value of Kubernetes is that the industry and the world is coalescing on an interface for uh, deploying and managing infrastructure, mm. right? Those, that, that matters a lot more. If you look at containers, um, what Kubernetes does with containers, that's not actually that interesting. You know, small evolutionary steps from a PC on your desk, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it, it is marginally more efficient than virtual machines. Right. It, it is you know, on its own. That part of the technology isn't exciting. What's exciting is that we shouldn't have to care about this stuff anymore, right? We, we should have this default API, this interface into these things. That's that's the important part. You know that that's the thing that 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 matters t- to me. And I think that's what a lot of people miss. People think that Kubernetes is somehow this uh, miraculous thing. It, it it it's 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 not. It's that it's becoming a standard. That to me is the big thing. I mean, that's what actually adds the value that there's a standard and, and what's underneath that standard, what's underneath that interface can change. You know, I'm, I, you, you have a long history in OpenStack and, I, yes, and I'm I curious, <laughs> like, like that was the goal of OpenStack as well, right? Like how would you yeah, come I was thinking, I was thinking about that this morning. So yeah, the, the, that was the goal of, of OpenStack initially. I think, you know, some serious strategic mistakes made that not happen. In fact, in 2011, I actually uh, was pitching at OpenStack at the, the third summit, a project called Donabe, which was container orchestration in 2011 ah. that no one got behind. Same, same basic thing. Um, so, yeah, there, there's that was that was the goal. Um, and it, it'd be interesting that that's a whole nother topic. Why that seemed to why that missed the mark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But w- was it was it a similar goal that that people were following? Like, I, I think it's instructive both on the for the community that 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 like is creating Kubernetes, but also for the people who are trying to use it. Um, because I mean, the way we opened is like kind of a build by versus decision, right? Like, what what do you want mm-hmm. to build on your own versus buy it? And you know, in the open stack days, um, it seemed like there was a lot of building, <laughs> right? Like, mm-hmm. like and I was never sure if that was encouraged or not encouraged. I mean, I guess there were a lot of vendors selling distros, but I remember there was one story, I forget who it was, but there was this this infamous story in the OpenStack world of one one big company that had built their own and they quickly like fell behind on uh on getting the new versions of OpenStack. That probably comes up quite a bit, but it was uh retold over and over again. And it seems like it seems like the same lessons would apply <laughs> between oh, the two. Absolutely, and e- you know, even if Kubernetes is done better, yeah. right? E- even if it's more, it's it's integrated better and it it upgrades more easily. Um, it it's still it's still once you start integrating with other things, once you start integrating it with your stuff, you know, you've got a problem. You got a problem where the if the API start to change you you can't update and you get stuck and that's 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 the same problem and that's that to me is one of the biggest risks of 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 diy of building your own i mean it's it's really to me it's no different than a linux distribution you know you 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 wouldn't you wouldn't build your own linux distribution and i have experience with that i i 
I um, led the team that created Ubuntu Server, and it's not easy. Um, but I saw, I've actually seen companies think that they should build their own. And I've seen, especially startups, think they should build their own Linux and think that there was value in that. And they, they all failed, and they all were wrong. Um, they all ended up with, with problems. They, they didn't keep their main thing their main thing. And, um, and I, I think that's one of the biggest risks with Kubernetes is you end up being an IT shop that does nothing but care and feeding of Kubernetes mm. and other things that actually move your service, your, your customers, the business, those don't get done. And, you know, and back to the disconnect we always talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the uh, way up there is uh, your, your customers wanting to do things with your software. And then way down below <laughs> is uh, configuring YAML files. <laughs> like is is uh what things amount to break it into two chunks of of things we've talked about in the past the first chunk is uh something you know we'll skip over the first chunk which is like you're you're not you're choosing to spend your time on plumbing basically right we, we can return to that but the second thing that i'm always intrigued with and my dog is getting very excited about it is <laughs> is all of the things that need to be added, right? Like, I think, I think you kind of alluded to this, like integrating with your systems and your policy and, and kind of crafting those things. And like, oh, there's even, even more than that. Yeah. I mean, so the, the thing that people miss and uh, something that I think that, I mean, this is one of, to me, this is the biggest, one of the biggest advantages of, of Tanzu that VMware offers. Um, you have to build containers. Building containers and managing containers is probably the most complicated part. Once you get stuff set up that, you know, anyone can read a guide and set up Kubernetes. But if you can't build and manage containers well, you're going to end up with a, a giant uh, cesspool of a, of a mess. And the time to build service, which, you know, is the descendant of, um, of the build service in PCF, it does that beautifully and, and lets you let you make sure that you have upgradable applications, not just an upgradable, manageable Kubernetes infrastructure, but the, the applications on top of it. That's really, really important. Right. And, and so, so that's like the first major thing is the, uh, what would you call it? The uh, front loading, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> like and, and, and describe, like, describe what that process is, right? Like, so I'm a developer here writing code. And I'm done writing the code. Like, then what? How do how do I get my feature uh, running on the platform? Like, what what what's all the stuff that goes through that? Well, you know, so so that's that's interesting. So if you do this from the, in my mind, what what I think should be and what most companies are doing are not the same thing. Yeah. So um, I think that you should you know you should have a developer. They should write a Spring app. They should commit it. They should do a Git pull request and that is their interface into the system. If they have to know they're using Kubernetes, they have to know the environment you've sort of already failed. Everything should be CICD driven, mm. getting something from the developer's laptop to, to production. And what I see more often, and this comes from sort of the fallacy that developers want Kubernetes, and that some of them might, but they shouldn't. Right. It's like saying it, it, it drivers want asphalt roads. You know, I, mm. I don't really care what my roads made of. I just care where I'm going and they should care where they're going. And the whole goal of this, the whole goal of all of this, right, is to accelerate your development 
and to remove barriers, to remove things that are not important, things that, that they shouldn't have to care about. If they're writing something that tokenizes someone's identity, you know, to, to anonymize them for, for an app, they shouldn't have to think about uh, Kubernetes. They shouldn't have to think about the environment. They should just write that business line. There is a, another thing that I kind of disagree with, which is the full stack developer. Um, they're, they're wanting people to be full stack developers. I'm going to build the OS. I'm going to build all the different parts. I have to know everything. And I don't think that's efficient. I don't think that's the way that you quickly get something from, I, from ideation to production. I think that, that you have to have all that stuff done in the background. You have to have automation that handles that. And there's a lot of complexity underneath having that kind of automation. And that's what Kubernetes provides. If you do it right and you use the right distribution, like something like, like Tons, it provides all of that for you. The issue over the years that you encounter with like a, a full stack developer is, is what you've already alluded to is, is just how you prioritize your time, like, like your resources of time and attention and all of that. And you know, I, I don't really know the generalized case, but it seems like, you know, spending time on your platform is often not worth it, <laughs> like bu- building your own platform, right? And doing your own configuring. Now, I think, you know, I I think the idea of a full stack developer like came about in maybe the late 2000s, the early 2010s, when there were no other options, <laughs> right? Like, like if you wanted to do things at web scale, you had to like build a bunch of your own stuff, right? Like you had to figure out how things fit together and build it out. And so there was probably some validity back then, but to the, you know, there wasn't more of a standard way of doing all of this and an understanding of how to package things up and make sure that it's manageable. And so, you know, there's still kind of this lingering idea that you need to be a full stack person to like be a great developer or to do any development at all. Whereas I think nowadays there's plenty of, uh, there's lots of understanding and tools and platforms like things like Kubernetes kind of filled out that will uh, do those things for you, right? So you don't really need to have that huge skill set of, of doing everything. Well, and you know, not needing to have it that's one thing. Most people don't have it. Right? I mean, <laughs> right, that's, right, right. that's the, the, if you think you're going to hire a bunch of people that, that know the stack from top to bottom that yeah. can replace a sysadmin for you, that can replace all of those different uh, knowledge sets that people have. I, I mean, unless you're a startup, a very small startup, I don't think that makes sense at all. I've, I've, that's never made sense to me. I mean, uh, the, I came up through operations, through system administration. I was an infrastructure guy, right? And um, I can't imagine the developers being able to do do their jobs without me providing that infrastructure and that base for them. And really, I don't think that that's really changed. I think that's what the platform team should be doing. They should be they should be supporting with with the way they deploy Kubernetes with their automation. They should be supporting developers so that they can. Um, not have to think about other things. Write your business logic, man. You shouldn't have to think about anything else. So, so I think, I think, like in the delivering on, I, I think, I think if we were to take, if we were to take like an infrastructure person's idea of who their customer is, right? In in our conversation, it's developers, right? So mm-hmm. they want to provide 
value to their customers. And sure, ultimately you want to do it for your organization, but that's kind of the most immediate customer that you have to deliver to. Uh, so you've identified one thing that's part of, of all of this, just the, you know, the build path, <laughs> right? Like, like putting, putting your pipeline in place and making sure you can do that. Another, another thing that, uh, that, that you mentioned, or that, that I forget if it was when we've talked before or when we're talking now, but is this idea of like how you enforce governance and policy and how, how mm. that gets added in versus kind of being more open and free floating. <laughs> and I feel, I feel like with my limited technical understanding of Kubernetes, there are ways of enforcing policy built into it, APIs, if you will, but to a certain extent, how you implement those and how you kind of do it at a, at a large scale are sort of left up as an exercise to the reader. There's a lot of choices of, of how to enforce those things. The other area of, you, you know, it's interesting and in kind of just thinking out loud about this, all of a sudden you're getting like enterprise architecture involved <laughs> to, to specify like, here's the types of applications that we want to be running. Here's like the policies that, that I, they need to follow. And here's how we enforce those policies, right? You can use this framework, you can use that API, but you shouldn't use this one and you've got to follow this stance, so forth and so on. And, you know, getting back to the idea of how you're spending your time building out this platform, that seems like a lot of time that you need to spend <laughs> de de deciding on all those things. And I, and I think, so that architecture being uh like basically a distributed application right where where you you've broken up your application into smaller components that coordinate with each other over a network and you know they need a uh, registry to look things up and do service discovery and all of this kind of stuff that's uh, that's all very exciting um and i think by nature of having to put things in containers and then also having this very constrained um i don't know connection policy, the, the way that various uh, containers in nodes and pods can talk with each other in, in Kubernetes. Mm -hmm. It really has this like limiting effect on how you can architect your application. And more importantly, if you want your application to be uh, like manageable in production and to be able to do all sorts of things like, you know, uh, all, all the great things like rolling upgrades and kind of separating out to get all the benefits you really have to like separate things out and put a lot of thought into how you're architecting it. And it feels like the way uh, that Kubernetes things were built was exactly around this application architecture. <laughs> and and mm -hmm. it's to service this way of doing applications, which I think, I, I think what that, you know, why, why I get interested in this is it's kind of moving further up the stack of things to pay attention to that you're alluding to, where I think sort of like, understanding that this is our new architecture and therefore that's what we need to kind of focus on that you know when we go to our customers what we're delivering is this architecture to them in the same way that like way back when for better or worse the architecture we were delivering was like an esb with with data change in our formats and uh, or we were mm -hmm. delivering like j2ee as an architecture to them and you know what what I'm interested more of like going forward is this discussion of like what that architecture is and, and what, what the, the best practices uh, that people follow it are. Like I was watching another talk from, uh, from swing one 
kind of going over like a comparison of what was it? Uh, spring cloud stuff and Istio. And it's like very minor, like what a service mesh does for you seemingly, but it has this great, like, uh, it's that, that presentation is a great view into how you coordinate all those little nodes talking with each other. And therefore this is like the architectural focus of the application that you're doing, right? Like this is, this is how you coordinate and describe all the lines and dotted lines between things. And it seems like, in contrast, a lot of the effort people are spending on Kubernetes now is basically on, like, getting it up and running and building it and kind of, you know, getting to that blinking cursor <laughs> instead of instead of describing, like, here's the patterns of how to do applications and here's how you, uh, you move forward with it. You know, I, I think some of that's intentional. I think that um, there is kind of a, a movement, a trend to think that developers need infinite flexibility mm. but infinite flexibility is sort of the the opposite of where we've been going <laughs> with with the, the cloud cloud native right if if you want things to be fast if you want to do things quickly if you want things to be maintainable and scalable they kind of need to be uniform you, you know and 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 i think another fallacy that that's that's out there is that Developers need access to every. You need. You, you could end up with a problem, so you have to have access to everything. I need to be able to use everything. I need access to every tool, to every library, to every service. But um, I don't. I don't think that's actually true. You know, I think that you you uh, you lose a lot. And I think you know, like I'm looking for a house right now, and it would be a lot easy easier for me if there was only one house. <laughs> right, right, right. I have to look. I'm in Atlanta. There's a million houses and I'm spending a lot of time instead of just finding the house and moving, I'm spending a lot of time thinking about it. And while that's maybe good for finding a house because I want to find the right house, that's not good for a developer. If, if I have to spend time figuring out what tools to use, what libraries I need to use, what language I need to write, I, I think that that is not efficient. I think that's not modern. Um, and I think that 95% of what we do is the same across every application, across every industry. You know, 5% might be unique to, 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 to the project you're doing or to your company. But we all basically do the same thing. So we don't, we don't, need, we don't need the confusion and the chaos that supporting every single thing in the world can give you. Right. But if you're an infrastructure team, you can create a list of the things you support and it looks pretty good for you. Look at all these things we support. It's just, I think it makes it harder to be a developer. It makes it harder to actually get your business code out there to actually push your stuff. And, you know, the, the key, the goal, right, is to get from ideation to production quickly. It's the path to production. And if you put a thousand more decisions in there, you're not speeding up that path. You're slowing down that path. And, then, you know, I guess... One of the reasons I joined Pivotal is that I'm, I'm a true believer in, in that way, that walled garden, that, you know, support 90% of what people need to do. And that's most of, most of everything. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of, sort of like using constraints to reduce variability, right? So instead of having a lot of options or choices, I mean, this is the, uh, was, it, uh, was it in the 90s? Was, I think it was uh, that Ruskoff guy who introduced the idea of like the serial row is overwhelming. Mm. Like not, not here in the <laughs> Netherlands, but maybe since you're uh, back in Atlanta, you've now encountered this where you go to the serial row, row and there's just like 
too many choices, right? Like there's, there's hundreds. Would it be hundreds? Well, there's probably... I think, I, I think it's hundreds. Yeah. There's I probably... There's, I mean, it is... 80 to 150 different options for cereal in, in, in an American grocery store. Not to mention the various, uh, what would we call them, skews. There are, there are cereal sweets in the cereal row that, that you can choose from, like the Raisin Bran sweet that you can buy uh, all sorts of things from. And it yeah, does seem the like... shredded wheat sweet. Yeah, <laughs> you definitely have those. And, and it, does, it does seem like that is, um, to your point, right? Like if you're thinking about, if, if, if you're an infrastructure person thinking about your customers as the developers that you're trying to basically speed up their work, right? Make it easier for them to um, think about and get features out faster because there's all sorts of positive benefits to that then there's a balancing act between giving them like the tools they need and giving them some amount of choice but also like not too much choice right sort of constricting down to a standard um and there's all sorts of issues that we've encountered over the years with that especially when it comes to sort of like evolving those capabilities long-term and kind of integrating in like this year's new learnings instead of getting stalled out in like a three-year-old or four-year-old stack. But I, th I think that's another thing that like when you look at the cloud-native style of developing, like it really tries to give you a minimal set of things you can do, <laughs> right? Like, like there's a very small set of concepts of how you package things up, how they talk with each other, and that's kind of it. Like you're not left to just decide to do things willy nilly any way that you want. It's you're not sort of like here's a server, connect it all together. Like it's it's a very constrained environment for what you're doing. Yeah, that's that's just absolutely right. And I think that's one of the problems we're seeing with the way enterprises are doing Kubernetes is they're losing track of the cloud native part of it. Like you know the the and I think that's because of the thing that drives the, you know, both the infrastructure team and the developers, developers love to use different tools. You start using different tools. Those just that pad your resume. Right. And the, the infrastructure team loves to build complicated things because that's, that's fulfilling. So I, I think we've kind of, we're psychologically set up to make this more difficult, but we're losing the cloud nativeness. Can you say cloud nativeness? <laughs> Well, you just we're, did. We're losing so I think that. You can. Yeah, well, we can't say it. Yeah, I said it twice. Um, so uh, I think we're I think we're losing it. And what we've done is taken and I, I see this. So we've taken the old enterprise architecture and jammed it into uh, Kubernetes. We've mm. made Kubernetes as complicated as the old enterprise architecture and lost some of the cloud native value. But you don't have to. You know, you 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 don't have to do that. It can be done right. I think there's three main points that like like. We, we, should, we should think about and then get back together to discuss. One of them being um, this idea of, is, is it a valuable idea to build out your own things? Which, you know, coming from two people who work at a vendor is a highly suspicious conversation to have from us. <laughs> but Well, how, but I, I'm also someone who likes to build things. So, I mean, right, right. I, I think that, I think, so I th and we can deal with this tomorrow, but the answer is yes, but. Right, right, right. So. And, and I think, I think, as always with that, that kind of supposition, uh, what's important in the discussion is to kind of like frame and model uh, what your requirements are. Like, like, why, like why you would be building something on your own and what you would be achieving with it and, and like 
what the drivers are. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, whatever. Like, who knows? But just kind of more knowing like the context of it instead of just assuming that you should always start with that. I've got a whole model I use to decide whether to build or or to buy. And and we can talk about that. See, that, that would be nice. And then, and then I think it's a this whole matrix. It, I need a name for it. So maybe someone can help me name it. And then, and then I think the second thing, I don't know the order of the second and third, but the second is, is to use your phrase, losing the cloud nativeness. And, and I think, I think what that means, what one thing that means is that if you are an infrastructure person in this, in, in this context that we're talking about, uh, your customer are, is developers and you could call them, you know, product teams or, uh, you know, software enabled businesses, whatever it's, it's the teams of people who are working on features for the software that is helping run your business or kind of be the storefront to your customers. Right. And you're doing that primarily through uh, software, but the customers, the infrastructure people have are those, those teams, those, those people who want to build that out. And then, and then the third thing that, you know, it's easy to lose track of that. <laughs> and, and the third thing that I think kind of follows from that is that what you get with Kubernetes is a type, I'll just call it this, is an enterprise architecture. And like any enterprise architecture, it can be subverted and munged around. And you can always just end up running a monolithic application that requires on a scale-up architecture to uh, perform well. Like it's, it's easy to arrive there. But if you, if you kind of follow the enterprise architecture more, it's basically just like, here is a constrained set of ways uh, to write a distributed application. And here's how, here's how we'll specify how everything talks with each other. Now, I think the fourth part after that, which is, which is the part we haven't got around to, which is like, all right, so we got that. And what's every single thing else I need to install to, to, to make things work well? Like we talked about the infrastructure layer a little bit. But I think if you kind of start off with that goal of a product that we're trying to build, right, this platform, you know, everything else kind of follows out of that. Like all of the kind of governance and security that you need, the, the monitoring and observability. And you sort of kind of start to build up this, uh, this I don't know, you can product manage out a platform, uh, which I think I think is is useful for doing over the long term because that, you know, going back to my original question, when the, uh, the infrastructure people are looking at an empty whiteboard, that's what they're going to be building out, right? Like that, that kind of drives all the different components and uh, the teams that they need. But we'll see. Perhaps we could uh, pick this up tomorrow or some other time this week. And uh, I'm sure we'll have thought of something that has nothing to do with my summary by then. But we can uh, <laughs> we we can try to fill out the rest of that whiteboard. Well, uh, for people who are only listening, what, how, you have a Twitter handle or someplace someone can go to follow you. Oh, I do. Dindra Bates, D E N D R O B A T E S. Now, have I ever that's, asked that's you what, what is that? <laughs> that is the genus for poison dart frogs. Oh, poison dart frogs. Okay, what makes them dart and, frogs? And, and, like, do they do they like go forward? They, because tra- you know, because traditionally, um, you could dip your arrow or dart in their on their skin, rub it on their skin, and I it see. would paralyze something. Yeah. Huh? But so the, one of the reasons I have the the the, the I use that handle, which I've used for decades now, is um, they are only poisonous in the wild. They are um, 
they are they are completely tame and safe in captivity. Just like you, I so, guess. Just like me, yes. <laughs> yes. Now now we need to do have some sessions to define what the wild <laughs> is versus captivity for you. That that's that's the uh the next layer there. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Well, you know, I bet I bet there's there's a name for there must be a word that describes naming something based on the function it gives humans, right? Like like mm. sometimes we call cow beef, right? And mm-hmm. uh you know, like like it's not named based on its own virtues, but the way that it's used in our what we do with it on the whiteboard, so to yeah, speak. Yeah, and pork, but Chicken is pretty much chicken. It's, it's, it's interesting. Interesting linguistic uh, thing. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I like that. Whereas, you know, an eagle isn't called like mascot. Like, it, <laughs> <laughs> or you would think over the years, a lion or a bear could be called. Anyways, uh, that's, that's a, an idea for another time. Anyways, so uh, as always, this has been a, uh, a little Tansu Talk episode. If you want to get the show notes, I mentioned a couple of videos and uh, maybe I'll put in a link to a, a dart frog. But you can go to tanzu.vmware.com slash podcast and look that up. And also, uh, if you're listening to this, uh, you should check out the schedule that we have for the uh, VMware Tanzu uh, streaming. It's it's fun. And you get to see the, or you, I guess you see, you get to see and hear the sausage being made. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, that can be, which everyone should do. I mean, that's really important. They, they recommend that before you eat sausage, you should see it made. Exactly. It's, it's, <laughs> there must be some alternate phrases for that, that, uh, I need, I need to look up, <laughs> but, uh, if you want to get on that, you can go to, uh, twitch.tv slash VMware Tanzu. And, uh, there's all sorts of other things uh, that you can look up, but we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.